I'll be reading Galatians 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the members of God's family who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are, who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim you a gospel contrary to what we proclaimed to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat. If anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. But I love the show American Pickers. Does anybody like that? It's, uh, it's great to watch. I think it's Mike and Frank, if I may get that backwards. But they, uh, you know, go out into these warehouses or they, they get out and there used to be a Mercedes van. I think they have a Ford now. But they, they take off all across America uh, to go to houses that look interesting or places that they've heard of that have a lot of what we might call junk. And uh, they go through these, and you can see, you know, these huge places that just have loads and loads of stuff. I mean, to the point where uh, it looks like some of it, if it shifted a little, would fall on somebody and and hurt them. Uh, But these guys are geniuses at being able to look at different things. And sometimes they have particular things that they're looking for. Like one of them might be uh, very interested, and, and I think is interested, in Italian like Vespas or, or motorcycles, and, and really keeps an eye out for those. And if he sees one at a garage sale or in somebody's old barn, uh, then if he can get it without them knowing how much it's really worth, then uh, you know, it's a huge savings for him. He can take it, fix it up, and sell it. Or I'm not sure what they're looking at right there, but um, the other day I was watching and they were, you know, I have nothing better to do than watch American Pickers. But I was, I was watching it and uh, they came across some old circus uh, billboards or uh, poster boards that were from like the 1930s. And as they were looking at these, um, you know, I, I would have just pitched it aside. They were in some really bad looking frames and didn't, didn't look like they were worth all that much. But uh, Frank looked at them and realized that uh, this was a real find. And he began to dicker back and forth with the, other, with the, the guy who owned them. And uh, the guy who owned them knew what they were worth. And so uh, they were able to come to some agreement. But it's always interesting to watch and to see uh, how they determine what is genuine and what is fake or counterfeit. And sometimes they make mistakes. In fact, they'll say that they have made plenty of mistakes before where they will put a lot of money down for uh, a particular item and it ends up not even being the real item. Bill, your $40 guitar might be worth millions of dollars. It may have been an Eric Clapton guitar. Uh, 
Yeah, you'll have to scrape that paint off of it uh, for it to get back to its original deal. Well, how do we know what is genuine and what is counterfeit? Well, somebody said that the best way is not to study the counterfeits, but to study the genuine item, to, to really know what is real and why it is so valuable. As we've heard from our gospel uh, text today, or from our epistle from Galatians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, we are looking at the very first uh, chapter of this, and it, Paul gets really angry. And, and that's one thing about Paul. He seems to have a bit of a short fuse. And if you'll look in your Bible, if you uh, still have that open, if not, there's a pew Bible right in front of you. But in Galatians Chapter 1 and, and verse 1, Paul kind of um, talks about himself a lot. And you can see that throughout his letters. But in this one, he says, Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the members of God's family who are with me. So that's how he begins his letter. If you're writing an email or a text or even getting, uh, you know, that stuff, um, paper. You get a piece of paper out and you get a, a pen, you know, one of those things that has ink and you write out. You probably wouldn't put all of that into it to say, this is who I am and God has chosen me and I'm, uh, I have these credentials. But that's what Paul does. And he wants them to know uh, and reminds them, I mean, they know who Paul is, but he reminds them of who he is and what has been given to him. And as he goes through, he is establishing his credentials so that they could understand why he believes in what he is saying and and that the gospel that he is preaching to them and has preached to them is the genuine item. It is the genuine article that God has given to him. As we hear in his first 11 verses in this particular chapter, as he establishes all of this, he gives some reasons of why the gospel that he has given to them is the real thing. And the first thing that he mentions is that it is revealed by God. The gospel that he had gone to them, and and as he preached the gospel to them, and... and, um, Harry Rowland, as he was here this past week, he talked a lot about Paul. And in fact, we did kind of a dialogue with Paul in our retreat last weekend where uh, it's called a colloquy. And we just walked through and had some conversation uh, back and forth, just writing things out. If we were to interview Paul, what would we ask? And how would we keep that conversation going? And just the different ones that were shared, it was very interesting to think about that. But here, uh, Paul is wanting them to understand the significance of what has happened to him. We all know the story about uh, Saul, who is on uh, this campaign to get rid of Christians. He is persecuting Christians. He is trying to end this movement of all these people that keep talking about Jesus and who are sharing this news that Jesus is alive. Paul is very upset about this. And so he's out taking care of this. And um, on the the road to Damascus, there's this bright shining light. And he uh, hears the voice of Christ. He's blinded by the light. 
And uh, we, we heard this passage over and over again last weekend. Saul, get up. Why, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing all of this? And he tells him to get up and to go on. And as he does this, he experiences this revelation, not just on that day, but as he would go away to Arabia, as he would go out into the desert, it would be a time for him of tremendous awakening. God would show him so much that he needed to see. And so Paul uses all kinds of adjectives and and all kinds of wonderful words to describe what God had given to him. And that is one thing that he says. It is not of human origin. If you look down at the end of this in verse 11, he says, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters. So he's writing to a church who has strayed away from what he taught them, and they've picked up another gospel. There have been people who have come into Galatia and are telling them that they have to do uh, certain things in order to become Christians. That they have to be circumcised or they have to go through the law before they could really be considered true followers of the way. And he says uh, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So it wasn't something he just picked up along the way. He says, this is something that God showed me and did inside of my life. I, uh, I'm not a huge John Calvin fan, but I do like this quote, and you'll see it on the front of your bulletin here. Calvin writes, The gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It cannot be grasped by reason and memory only, but it is fully understood when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates to the inner recesses of the heart. I think that gets at what Paul is saying about experiencing the gospel. It was something that came to Paul, and it was something that burned inside of his heart. He talks about being blinded, and uh, you kind of you, you get the idea that this was a transformational experience when he truly heard the words of Jesus Christ. As we are here this morning, we realize that there are a lot of different Gospels out there. I love the prosperity Gospel. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And I really, I'm still trying to get that uh, Bentley. Um, And so if you'll give $1,000 today, this is what God told me. If you give $1,000 today, I might be able to get that Bentley. It may take a few more Sundays for us to be able to do that. But, uh, you know, the prosperity gospel essentially teaches that uh, if we have enough faith and if we have our words together and we do things in a certain process, then we will prosper. We'll be, prosper, uh, we'll be uh, blessed with our riches and with good health. In fact, if you're sick, that means you don't have enough faith which is garbage. Or if you are poor, then you're not blessed by God. Some of these people even say that Jesus was rich. Um, I mean, it it wasn't just some poor donkey he rode. It was a very expensive donkey. Um, So there are all kinds of ideas out there, all different false gospels. There are some that are highly legalistic. 
and probably more of us have had experience with those than with uh, some of these other versions of the gospel. Kinds of gospels, and Paul says the one that is genuine is the one that does something in your heart. It is one that burns deep inside of you. It is one that is good news, such good news that you feel the, uh, the chains that bind you fall off. And I love the testimony. Uh, Carrie, is it Carrie shared about uh, being uh, two years free of, of, of heroin and, and, and this powerful addiction. And we all have different addictions, don't we? We all have different things, different demons we struggle with. And to be able to feel free and to know there is good news is to have a sense of revelation or to know that your sins have been forgiven, that you don't have to pay for your sins, that you can be forgiven. And that comes through Christ. And as Paul went to Galatia, he said, you're good enough because of what Christ has done for you. Don't listen to people, to legalists, who come and tell you that you have to jump through all these hoops in order to be loved and forgiven by God. That it is something that is given to you through Christ, and that is the good news. So which one do you have? Do you have the right gospel? Do you have a gospel that you know God has spoken to you? And we think about how God speaks to us through Scripture, and, and, and uh, even though Bill was goofing off this week, he did pick out some songs and some really good songs that were appropriate to what we're talking about, thy word, how how God has given us a word, has given us light to be able to walk ahead. And we can know that uh, as we stumble around in the darkness, that there is a light and a path ahead. God gives us revelation and illumination through Scripture. And as we learn about Jesus in Scripture, we know that that is God's most special revelation. As we look at Jesus, we see what God is like. And we see what we can become as we look at the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. But there is another thing that we can do to know about the gospel, or another thing that we can know about it, and that it is of grace. So it is something that is revealed to us, but it is also of grace. Paul mentions grace several times and uh, in, in this uh, third Verse, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great way to greet one another, by the way. Uh, to say grace to you, sister or brother. May God's grace be real in your life. And then in verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel. This gospel that is perverted, that it is so far from the real that I just can't believe it, Paul says, that you're giving uh, credence to that, that you're following what these people are saying that has has nothing to do with what Jesus taught and lived out. That it is not about the law, it is about grace. Paul knew they were having a difficult time accepting the grace. I'm sure at first it was so uh, relieving. It it was so um, freeing for them. But there's something about us that uh, goes back to those chains, right? The chains that 
once bound us to our old sins and our old way of life, there's something that just draws us back. And maybe it's because we don't feel worthy of God's grace. Probably that's the case for most of us. We don't feel worthy. How many of you feel worthy of God's grace? No, I'm just kidding. Don't. Um, not, none of us are, right? We have all sinned. We've all gone our own way. We've all hated at different times. We've all demonstrated anger in unhealthy ways at different times. We've all said things that we've regretted. There are so many things that we've left undone that we have not done for the cause of Christ. And yet God loves us. There's a, a church that started out in uh, Lubbock, Texas. And uh, Lubbock is uh, way out uh, west Texas, or it's uh, right at the, once you go over the Cap Rock, it's uh, right there if you look in the panhandle of Texas, kind of at the bottom. And you, uh, if you've ever been there, you know that you can see forever from uh, anywhere in Lubbock. And my family on both sides, they're all from very far north of there in the top of the panhandle. And there's always, you know, a funny story about being able to see Dalhart from Lubbock on a, uh, on a clear day, which is, you really can't see that far. But uh, Lubbock is uh, one of those, uh, it's, a, it's definitely a West Texas community. And it's a church community. There are lots of Christians in Lubbock. But this church started, and uh, Texas Monthly did a, a story on it. It says, how did a Lubbock preacher create one of the country's fastest-growing megachurches? And I had to stop. That's why I read this article. I thought, how could there be a megachurch in Lubbock, Texas? It says, uh, with rock music. Uh, and by the way, Buddy Holly is from, um, from, from there. Uh, an open-door policy and a lot of entrepreneurial savvy. This church is averaging about... 3,500 on Sunday mornings. And they are drawing people who are not attending a traditional established church. And most people in Lubbock are Baptists. And not going to those and not feeling necessarily uh, comfortable in those. And as I started to read this article, uh, I I was hearing and and reading a lot about the grace that exists in this church. And I don't don't know much about this church. So if you find out something about the church that... uh, Turns out to not be a positive thing. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it other than what was in the article. But one of the people that they mentioned that has come to this church, his name is Gerardo Aranaga. He is 50 years old and the chief of police for a school district. He says, I'm married, got kids, got a good job. I've had a basically good life. I just felt that my life wasn't really productive. He walked into a service one Sunday as the pastor was explaining the church's motto, no perfect people allowed. Pretty good motto for a church. He was talking about, we don't care if you're a prostitute, a drug addict, you're not required to be perfect, he recalls. And I'm sitting here thinking that this is where I'm supposed to be because no matter what I've done to improve my life, it is so imperfect because I was miserable. But I met human beings there that... Uh, The author says his voice constricts as he stops. The other six men wait quietly. And after a moment, Aranyaga continues. They cared about me as a human being. They didn't require anything of me outside of wanting to be there. Another one said, in July 2013, my wife had filed for divorce and I spent about two weeks 
drowning at the bottom of whatever bottle of vodka I could find, literally wanting to die. And this is uh, Bobby Jarnigan, 48-year-old roofing salesman. At the end of that two weeks, I finally told God, if you're not going to let me die, then let me find somewhere to go. When he arrived at Experience Life Church, the man who greeted him at the door was a childhood friend. And at the end of the service, uh, when Jarnigan approached the volunteer prayer team, he happened to be matched with another long-lost acquaintance. He says, if that's not a sign from God, then I don't know what is. I went from crying to flat-out bawling. In a way, this church saved my life because I had pretty much given up on me. It's a church of grace. It's not a legalistic church. It's a church that accepts all people wherever they are. And I think that's what Paul wanted the church at Galatia to understand. That is what Jesus preached and teached, uh, taught, sorry. I have a degree in English. Uh, as he went along. So as you think about the gospel that you proclaim or the gospel that you believe, is it one of grace? As you tell other people about your spirituality, about your church or about your faith, are, are you doing that with an element of grace? As you treat other people around you uh, in various ways, are those ways of grace or are they ways of legalism and expectations that you wouldn't want put on you? Are you able to find the grace of the gospel? Well, this is important stuff, isn't it? Because churches all around us are... Churches that say they believe in grace, but do they? Or are they churches that expect you to be someone that you're not and to do things that, uh, that they don't do for themselves? God has called us to know grace. Paul learned about grace, God's grace in keeping him alive. God's grace in taking him from being one who was persecuting the church to being one of the greatest proponents of the church, that God wasn't finished with him. And Paul would confess over and over again his faults and his sins, and yet God used him. Something else about the gospel is that it turns you into a servant. Paul writes about being a servant. If, uh, if you look in verse 4 here that is uh, in this first chapter, he says, uh, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He talks about how Jesus was active, that Jesus was not just uh, some religious nut, uh, was not just somebody who... Uh, went around saying all kinds of things, that he was someone who served. He didn't just talk about religion, he did religion. In verse 10, he says, Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ or a slave of Christ. So Paul wanted them to understand that this gospel was one of service. It's one that's active. 
that if they really believed in Jesus, then they would be living that out and they would be serving one another. And they had all kinds of problems in their churches because they were not serving in the way Christ served. If you ever want a great example of servant leadership, just look at Jesus when you see Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. There's so many paintings, so many um, different uh, kinds of art that are out there that represent this aspect of Christ, kneeling down and serving other people. This is God in human flesh in action. So if you really have the right gospel, then look at your life and see that you have been turned into a servant of Christ. Do you see that in your life? Think about that with uh, what you do in a given week. Are you finding that, and this is not legalism, but it's a way for you to have a time of reflection in, in your own life and to see, are you one who would be called a servant of Christ? And I love the way Paul refers to himself that way. But I think other people would have said the same thing and did say the same thing. Here's someone who goes all out for the cause of Christ to the point where you're weary and tired of of all the things that go with that, and yet you continue on because of your love for Christ and the need of the gospel in the world. Are you a servant of Christ? We have lots of different ways to get involved with serving, and you're going to hear about one in just a second uh, that happens this summer. But we have uh, four key missional teams with Uh, the Lighthouse, and Visions of Hope, and the Veterans Team, and Highland Center Ministries, and uh, the things that we do with the closets and the meals and everything else. There's so many ways for you to get involved, to show that you really believe the gospel, and it has turned you into a servant of Christ. The world needs more servants, doesn't it? One of the things that I I loved about my mom, uh, she passed away in, in 2000, but there, there are a lot of uh, funny stories in my family that we talk about whenever uh, First Monday would come around uh, in Canton. Anybody been to First Monday? Okay, I'm so sorry that you went. That is, uh, no, no one should have to go through First Monday in Canton or go there on the weekend. Uh, where it's just like an endless yard sale. I mean, it goes on and on and on. But my mother would go there, I mean, every First Monday weekend. And she loved antiques, had all kinds of antiques and and some stuff that my dad and brother and I would just call junk. And as she would uh, go to Canton, she always had something with her, actually several things with her. Uh, She would take her bag, and her bag uh, would have magnets in it. And she would go up to these dealers, and she'd get her magnet out, and she could uh, detect if something was real Uh, you know, if it had the right kind of uh, metal on it or whatever, based on her magnets. And even if it didn't have metal on it, she'd just freak them out by getting these these magnets out and start doing different things to it. And she loved to dicker, never bought anything she didn't dicker for. Uh, Then she also, uh, she had these, um, not magnets, um, magnifying glass. And so she'd take her magnifying glass and she would look something over and she was really an expert with dishes. Uh, things that came from England, and she would uh, she could look at it and see what was a genuine stamp on the back, like Staffordshire or whatever, and uh, or something that was fake. 
And uh, sometimes it was just a little bit of a, a piece of ink, and she could look at it with a magnifying glass and be able to tell what was real and what was fake. And she would, she would just do this every time, and that's really why she did it. She loved to be able to give it a test and see if it's real or not. Well, today we have that opportunity to give our gospel a test. And I hope that you'll do that as you go into this next week, that you'll look at what it is that you believe to see if it is genuine or if it's fake. Let's pray. God, thank think I'm young, but I'm not, but I was a younger minister then, and uh, I'm thinking, oh, man, this is pretty heady stuff. You know, you try to be humble, but in my mind's eye, Harry Rowland, religious free to write a man of the year for Time magazine. You could, you know, you could see that maybe fitting on a Time magazine uh, cover one day, man of the year type stuff, you know, in there, and, and humbly speaking. So I'm kind of thinking, golly, maybe this is God's plan for my whole life. And I'm starting to see how it all comes to a business pre-law background. Now the Soviet bloc's falling apart. I get a chance to go to Kazakhstan to, to work and author religious freedom documents to, to help uh, combat churches. And I'm th- in my mind, this is, this is probably God's calling in my life. This is, you know, why I was born. You know, you're having all these, these thoughts as you start seeing things, pieces 
come together. So we head off to Kazakhstan. You had to get, go to JFK at that time, get on a plane called Aeroflot. I called it Aerofloat. I don't think they cared whether it stayed in the air, floated or not. Um, horrible airline, but flew in the Moscow, Moscow to Almaty, capital of Kazakhstan. I got there. Um, I've, I've traveled all the time. I've only lost my luggage one time. Sometimes it showed up a bit late. This time I, I went to Kazakhstan. My luggage went to Kansas City. I was four weeks in Kazakhstan. My luggage was five weeks in Kansas City. That's the only time I never did show up anywhere. So I got there, and I traveled enough that I at least had one other change of clothes with me in my carry-on. That was four, that, this was all certainly before 9-11 when you didn't. You checked most everything. You hardly carried anything on then, you know. Um, so I got there, and... Um, Doing all the stuff, met with, meeting with the president every day. We're meeting with all the religious leaders. You're spending two and three days worshiping, trying to work out documents. My business people, my medical folks, my uh, educators all meet with their counterparts. You're doing interviews. It's pretty heady stuff, you know. Uh, more so, and I'm thinking, I'm way over my head, but you're trying to pretend like you know what you're doing when you really don't. You're just trying to follow it day by day. And we're going there. Well, after a while, my luggage doesn't show up. At that time, I decided to go shopping in Kazakhstan. Well, I'm 6'5". The average Kazakh is 5'6". I walk into the department store. There's like four things you can buy. I could have started a men's trend for crop pants a lot earlier <laughs> if I just had bought some there because there wasn't anything, there wasn't anything that really, really fit. Um, so I, I couldn't go there. But then I went and I uh, went into the... Uh, they told me that the lady who brought me my breakfast in the morning, my tea and little croissant in the morning would also do my wash so i thought well i'll i'll just take it in and have it washed and keep thinking my luggage is going to show up at some time so what i wasn't wearing that day i kind of got and i walked over to her little wash area and in my best russian and you know how us americans are my best russian is loud slow english <laughs> and if they can't understand me i just speak more loudly and more slowly and maybe they will understand me now isn't that the way we do it and so in my best Russian, my loud, slow English, I ask if she'll wash my clothes. And in her best English, which is even louder and, uh, and very fast Russian, I think she told me yes, and that'd be fine, and she'll have them for me that evening. At least that was what I was hoping, she said. And so I gave them that, and I went out and did my duties that day. Came back in that evening, and lo and behold, on my bed were my clothes, but not only my clothes, but other clothes. I'm thinking, ah. Oh. Loaves and fish, you know, but it happens with clothes. It, you know, God just multiplied clothes out here to do that. Unfortunately, when I held them up, there were some Cossacks clothes that didn't fit me, so I kind of packed up what wasn't mine, went back to her little wash area, and thanked her very much for washing my clothes in my loud, slow English, and handed her back the clothes that weren't mine and went on to bed. Well, the next night, as I'm getting there, as I'm laying there, it's about 10 at night. By the time I'm finished, I'm laying there in just my FOLs. That's Fruit of the Loom, just kind of cooling down for the day. As I go through that, it's a hot in Kazakhstan. I hear this knock on the door. She just comes on. And everybody had a key at that time. Everybody had a key to your room in Kazakhstan. You know why they gave me one. Everybody was in and out of it all day long, it looked like, when I would get back in the day. But uh, she came on in and motioned for me to come with her. So I get up and put on my pants, put on my shirt, and go over to follow her. She tells me to go back in and put on my shoes. I'm thinking, I wonder where we're going. So I put on my shoes, and then she takes me back to her little wash area, and she's sitting there pointing out stuff. And you know how you pretend like you're really understanding, having a conversation that you're really not having a conversation, and everybody's smiling and talking, and you're pretending like you understand each other, and you're clueless to what each other's saying. That was kind of what we did for about 15 minutes, and she pointed out all this stuff. And then I went back to my room. I'm thinking, well, I don't know what that was all about. Went on the next day to do my job, and Came back that next evening, and all of a sudden, there's a quick knock on my door. Really, I hear the key in my door, and here she comes again. I get up, put on my pants, put on my shirt, put on my shoes this time, and this is like 11 o'clock at night, and we start going, and we start going to other people's rooms. She had a key to everybody's room. We just walk into other people's rooms in there, you know, walking around and looking, and 
you know, uh, going fine. We're having our non-conversation conversation again, you know, that we're doing. And about 30, 40 minutes later, I'm back in my room again. Well, the next night, 11 o'clock, I'm sitting there dressed. I figure she's coming. And sure enough, here she's at the door. And then we go out and we go for a second night. We go to more people's rooms. After three nights of this, I tell my interpreter who's with me during the day, I said, you need to come and stay with me. I've got to figure out what's going on. I don't know what all this is happening. I told him kind of the story, a little bit of what I've told you. So we're sitting there waiting. And sure enough, here she comes in. And so they start talking about what's going on. And he turns to me. He said, do you have all your clothes? And I said, yes, yeah, not much. Like my suitcase hasn't shown up. I have I, you know, I don't know what's happening, but I have all my clothes. And they talk some more, and they said, he comes back. He says, so you're not missing anything? I said, no, I'm not missing anything. You know, suitcase hasn't here, but I got everything. And, and uh, then he talks to her again, and she just breaks down crying. And he turns to me, and he says, well, the problem is that when, you, when I brought back those clothes to her, she thought that she had given somebody else my clothes, that she just swapped out clothes with somebody else. And that these tours were me looking for what she thought were my lost clothes. And she was a single woman mother from Siberia who had been brought there in style and stuff. She thought she was going to lose a job and get in trouble because she was a supporting American that she sees on TV all the time. And that she had lost my clothes and she was frantic and wasn't sleeping. And uh, she was frantically trying to find what she thought were my clothes. So she thought she'd given me somebody else's clothes and she'd given somebody else my clothes. And she's frantically trying to help me find these before she got in trouble. And when she realized that she wasn't going to be in trouble, she wasn't going to lose a job, she hadn't lost my clothes, she just broke down crying. And then she turned and said, he's made me cry for three days. You know, like I meant to or not. He made me cry for three days. She said, then he says, he owes me a Bible. She had seen my Russian Bibles that we had. We brought them in legally. We'd asked permission. We hadn't done anything that we weren't, hadn't checked out. And so I got one of the Russian Bibles, dictated a little insert, and my interpreter wrote it in there and gave it that, gave her the Bible. She came over big Russian lady, she grabbed me, picked me up, broke two ribs, put me back down again, and headed off. Well, the next night, I'm laying there in bed after a long night, kind of relaxing, hadn't gotten brave enough to hide my pants back in the closet yet. Sure enough, here comes the key, and I'm up getting dressed, and here she comes in, but this time she brings another wash lady from the 12th floor with her. And this wash lady speaks what we might call pigeon English, a little bit of broken English, and she says, you gave her a Bible. Can I have a Bible for my children? not for me, but for my children. And so I handed her a Russian Bible, and my wash lady grabs me, hugs me, picks me up again, bruises another rib, and puts me down. And for the next 12 nights, this wash lady brought a different wash lady to the floor of my room every night for the next 12 nights to get a Bible. You know, we had, we finished with all the, Signing, I met with all the religious leaders. We had a big ceremony in the presence cabinet, TV. All of, all of us signed this document to, you know, to not fight each other when the places of worship were given back. And Kazakhstan, as far as religious um, dissidents, is pretty low, but that's primarily because he's still in control and he is still runs with a pretty tight hand, not so much because of that document, but he's still in control. But I've traveled so much and moved so much, I actually have lost my copy of that. But every Christmas, I get a postcard from two wash ladies from the Hotel Almada who started three churches in Almada. They continue on. And you know, my vision and my plan was Harry Rowland, religious freedom writer from Soviet bloc countries, how it all saw to come together. God's vision was just needed some messy American to lose his daggum luggage 
and wander around the hotel rooms at midnight trying to speak Russian with a bunch of wash ladies handing out Bibles when they asked for them. And somehow, three churches were started. You know, it's about the vision that God has. It's not about the vessels. God can give us the vision. Are we willing to trust him to fulfill it? Will you pray with me?